Hello, and welcome to Asians Represent. I'm Daniel, and I'm your host. For those of you who are new to the show, welcome. For those of you who have been with us since the very beginning, well, welcome back. This is a return to our true podcasting episodes. If you're new, I'm just going to give you a quick rundown of what this show is all about. You know, on Asians Represent, we celebrate and examine Asian representation in tabletop games and pop culture. We do this by creating conversation, introducing new perspectives to the broader gaming community, and creating spaces for new voices in the industry. At Asians Represent, we're all about education, empowerment, and diverse and inclusive representation. So for this episode, which serves as our two-year anniversary, I can't believe it's been two years, um, I was joined by Stephen Amar to reflect on our experiences uh, reading through Oriental Adventures and Al-Qadim Arabian Adventures in front of live audiences via our Twitch channel, twitch.tv slash aznsrep. Um, you know, the, the activities that we did with those books and you know, the statements that we made and the content that we ultimately posted on our YouTube channel started a lot of change in the industry. And to be honest, it was kind of overwhelming and so it took us this long to kind of sit down and just talk about how that made us feel and talk about what we want to do in the future as a brand after winning a gold any for best podcast. Uh, so please give it up for Steve, Amar, and this fantastic, thoughtful conversation that they you know, brought to the table about Oriental Adventures and Alphadium Arabian Adventures. We're here. This is um, this is actually the first discussion podcast that we've done in a while. The last couple of episodes on our feed have been Dungeons and Asians content, and this is the first one where we've just we're not streaming. It's not coming from you know another sort of platform. This is just content made for the podcast feed, and I think it's a very important one. You know, we've kind of held off you know doing talks or putting specific topics on the podcast feed because they just didn't feel right at the time. And I think this is the right episode to return to the discussion series on. And it's, you know, it's one about, we'll be up front. It's about Oriental Adventures and al and our experiences with it and our experiences with the community reaction, both positive and negative with that. Um, before we start, though, like, I, I will say, like, a lot of our success at the Ennies, I, I have to say, is is due to, you know, the work we did with these books. Yeah. Um, so first of all, like Steve, Amar, congratulations. <laughs> right back <laughs> at you. Holy congratulations. Crap. We um, are now the any winning, gold winning gold. podcast. It's such a, such an honor. It's just so mind blowing to me. This is amazing. It's It's crazy. And I think for the first podcast episode return... I think it's fitting that we talk about, you know, one of the things that contributed to this sort of surge of new listeners, new viewers, and now that we're a stream, new watchers. Mm-hmm. I said viewers. I guess viewers I meant YouTube. Um, but you like live audience members. Um, so, yeah, congratulations to the two of you on, you know, being a part of this. It, this is crazy. I mean, we started we started Asians Represent with the idea of just like, we're going to do this once a month and we're going to, you know, we're going to talk to some people and that'll be it. That'll be it. And then all of a sudden now we're like, okay, we have at least four streams a month. 
Um, <laughs> that means four additional YouTube videos. And we, ha- no, we have five streams a month because that's four L5Rs and one Al-Kadim. Mm-hmm. And then I guess six if you count Dungeons and Asians or anything else that we do. Mm-hmm. Like our, our content output has like skyrocketed since the quarantine. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, because we have the time, mo- we're all at home. Mm-hmm. And because we want to be connected, we want to connect with our communities and we can't see other designers because there are no conventions. Yeah. And this was a promise that we made a little while ago, too, that as much as, you know, you can hear our voices and talk about hear about our experiences through that, it's important for us to be visible as well. I think Jade was the one who pointed that, that out. Was Jade. And, you know, we're, we're uh, we are filling out that province right now. That's what we're doing. Yeah. Yeah. I think before. Like you, myself, or Agatha, like even talked about like doing a stream. Jade was like, "Yo, we we should we should make a Twitch account. We should we should do something with video." And we we're like, "We'll get to it." And Jade made, like you said, the really good point that we need to be visible. And um, now we're here. <laughs> I'm, I'm curious how how do you how do you folks feel about like just the whole Ennies and everything like that? I mean, I I I was actually on a panel. Um, on a separate, like, not the Gen Con account, but I was on a, a separate panel, literally up until the NE started. And then we ended the panel. I went and grabbed a drink of water, and I logged on to Twitch to, to see the NEs. And it was like, and the silver NE for best podcast goes to, and I was like, freaking out. <laughs> oh, no. And like, like Sarah was here, and she was like, she put her hand on my chest and as I was sitting in this chair. And like, my heart was just like, Duh, duh, duh. And you could see my heart like pounding, and and then Robin said, "And the gold any stays in Toronto." Whoa. <laughs> That's what he said, and he's like, "It stays in Toronto." And I was like, it, "It was really weird because when he said it stays in Toronto, I was like, my first reaction, and I don't know if this is sad or not, but my first reaction was." Is there another podcast that's based in Toronto? Oh. <laughs> that was my first reaction. Oh. Um, and, and that's because of just how a small section of the community reacted to Oriental Adventures. Mm-hmm. And this is my segue into our later topic. But the question still is out there. How do you, how do you two feel about this? How did, like, Steve, this happened on your birthday. Yeah, so this, this, was, this was really bizarre for me because, you know, I unplugged from social media, the internet for my birthday weekend. Uh, my partner and I, we had like a lot of plans planned up to do during quarantine, just in our own home. Um, but that was really, really nice. And then I see a message really, really late because I was just like checking my phone right before bed, which you shouldn't do, but I do it anyways and slap on the wrist. Um, but Dan, you were like, we just won gold. And I knew exactly what you meant. And I I am still processing it because <laughs> like, what, like, what does this even mean? Like, and I mean that in a lot of different ways because it's a signifier that the work we're doing is seen, which is very, very good for me because there are often times where I kind of like end streams and I'm like, wow, I'm going to get lambasted by uh, the old guard or we can give them whatever label they are comfortable with, but I'm going to get lambasted. And am I, am I ready to like log on to Twitter tomorrow morning and deal with a lot of this? And by deal, I mean read and consume and, and listen, block, mute, whatever I need to do. And this was a nice kind of way to be like, you know what, Steve? Um, it's seen and people want you to continue. Mm-hmm. And that that felt really good in the heart and the soul. That's fantastic. 
yeah. uh, for myself. Uh, it, I actually was helping somebody move the whole day, uh, but it did happen to be Eid, uh, which is a, a celebration that uh, people, Muslims, kind of engage in. I've actually been estranged from my family for some time. So I was feeling kind of lonely and kind of like, uh, I don't feel so great about this. But then I heard about this and I was like, right, I have my Asians represent family to celebrate this day with as well. And it was just absolutely, I totally did not expect it either. I'm still kind of processing and getting used to it. Uh, but I will say this, I'm really, really excited um, for what this means for the message that we have been trying to put forward, the conversations that we've been trying to start, that now sort of with this, you know, uh, like, um, I guess, label or like stamp of approval, um, that'll that'll give the work that we're trying to do more legitimacy and more reach and influence, I hope. And that's kind of what I want to focus on is like, I'm really excited about what this means for the community uh, and our ability to positively influence and impact conversations that are already happening, the way people are running games in positive ways, and the way people feel seen and accepted in the different communities that they choose to be a part of. Yeah, that's great. I mean, before, <laughs> it's funny, one of the, I'm usually like pretty good at staying on top of things. And one of the things that I just did not stay on top of was the acceptance speech. <laughs> Literally the day it was due, I was like, "Oh shit, <laughs> I I have to I have to send in something," and I like I, I messaged our group and I was like, "Okay, here's what I kind of have. Let's like put something together." And I think it took us like an hour. Yep. And it was I'm, like ninety seconds, and it took us an hour. I mean, Dan, you say that, but our a lot of our listeners and viewers, um, they probably know this, and some of them maybe don't know this, but you do so much work behind the scenes. Mm -hmm. So when something falls off the table and you're like, oh, like, team, can like you help me here? We are always like, yes, Daniel, please ask us more for help. Because, <laughs> yeah. like, you have so many projects going on. You went on vacation for a week. And I was like, so, Daniel, how many projects you got going on? You're like, I already have two lined up and I'm already behind. And I'm like, well, <laughs> I wasn't behind. I wasn't oh, you behind. Like, whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> I had two that were scheduled for that week. I apologize. <laughs> But you're right, Steve. You do you you do a really good job, and other people, everyone else in my life, does a really good job of calling me out for for being a workaholic. <laughs> and it's true. Um, and it's one of the things that I did. Like last night, I actually sent our core team a message. I was like, I need help. Um, we're growing, and like we need to do more. Um, and that's what we said in the speech as well. And I say we, even though it was me and my, my Jeremy Lynn jersey on screen, like that was a message from us. That was a message from the community. Mm -hmm. It's like, we got the any and that's great. But like getting the any while it gives us like legitimacy, like you said, Amar, does that mean that we've kind of like peaked and we're done? Mm -hmm. The any just means like, hey, we hit the next level. We still got a couple more evolutions to go mm -hmm. before we're ready for the Pokemon League. <laughs> Uh, and it's another step to just being able to put our work out there in front of a larger audience. And uh, yeah. Yeah. And, and you know what? It's, I think I'm really happy that we were able to like rally together in that last minute sort of push to, you know, send in the acceptance speech and, you know, make something of value, make something valuable, kind of make it like use that spotlight that we had because the, the chat on the Ennies Twitch was <laughs> insane. It was like, and the gold Ennie, and everybody was like, Asians represent. I will riot if Asians <laughs> represent. And, and honestly, like, I think it was, I, I'm so grateful that we were able to use that spotlight to make a call to action to the community. Mm -hmm. 
But yeah, that's it. Now we're a gold any award winning podcast slash stream. I will say stream as well. Um, because that's go ahead. We've definitely been branching out, uh, into many different areas. So let's, do we want to talk about that? Do we don't, do we want to reflect on the last few months of streaming? Yeah. You know, it's crazy. It's been like almost half a year. Wow. (laughs) Oh, Oh man. Right. (laughs) I feel like, I feel like March was either yesterday or 25 years ago. (laughs) This year has been so weird. Right. (laughs) Yeah. It's. We say like, oh, yeah, we're new to streaming, but we've been doing it for like almost six months. Wow. I mean, we're still – that still makes us new, but like that's been six months of just like going like ham. That's that's half a year. (laughs) Yeah, it's half a year of streaming. I mean, we we started the stream because I was like, hey – because I had been experimenting with Twitch with the intention of us eventually doing it, but I didn't want to – stream on like our account as I was learning. Mm-hmm. Um, so like, that's why I was like streaming on my personal Twitch just to kind of learn how to do it. Um, and you know, when the quarantine hit, we were like, we made that statement on our Facebook and we were like, we're not going to do Dungeons and Asians because of the chemistry that we have in person. I can't, I didn't write this, but I always say this publicly. I can't hold Amar's hand when, mm-hmm. when things get emotional between Kiana and Steve, like, like how we were we were naturally very apprehensive about taking what we have in person and trying to do it virtually mm-hmm. um and no, then i mean i mean no. it's it's still not the same like no. we are we are doing it remotely which is great it's great for my heart but um the absence of being in person is definitely noticed by me but Agreed. i i'd rather have a fraction of that positivity and that that fraction of like that love and and support and and all that good stuff when you're around a table playing a game uh then not have it at all so i'm actually really happy that we move to remote because it makes me steve personally individually (laughs) (laughs) i'm selfish makes me happy no you're and we were talking like off off recording off mic it's okay to prioritize your happiness right it's it's okay to make sure that you know you are happy Mm mm-hmm Right. Um, but yeah, I, I miss the like, we do a two hour recording, but we're hanging out for like five hours. I miss the Steve, Steve <laughs> showing up with like some takeout and just like a whole bunch of beers or Amar showing up and being like, hey, can we just like delay recording for 10 minutes so I can eat my shawarma? <laughs> like, I miss all of that. I miss shawarmas. Um, <laughs> I've had like four hey, shawarmas you... since the beginning of this. <laughs> okay. I was about to say like, you started making your own, but I'm assuming it's not like the, <laughs> not same, the same as going. Yeah. Yeah. I feel that same as pizza. Mm-hmm. But I, re- I like remember, we- I remember going to Steam Whistle the brewery in Toronto, filling up my two liter growler, showing up with a cold, unfiltered because you can't get that in stores. You can only get it at the brewery mm-hmm. because there's like other stuff with that. I show up with unfiltered beer. I'd be like Sarah. I brought unfiltered Steam Whistle, <laughs> and then like we just have like, <laughs> some glasses. Of- oh, I'm I miss I miss pre COVID nineteen life a lot. Yeah, yeah. I miss and it for, times. for the for the audience. Sarah is my partner. Um, who, who works in like the craft brewing industry. Um, so yeah, I, I, I miss that. I miss, I miss just being able to do things in person together and, and talking like that. Um, I miss, you know, being able to easily read our, our body language for when it's time to speak, when it's time to switch spotlights. 
um, it's it's harder for me to do that now that you know we have to do the production end with the with the stream. Mm-hmm. There's a, there are a lot more things to watch. Mm. Um, so I, I like just being able to sit and watch all of you. Mm-hmm. That's what I miss. Yeah, me too. But we're adapting. Um, yes. For what it's worth, and maybe I'll take the interviewer role a little bit, um, because I didn't come up with the idea. I can go ahead and heap all manner of praise. Uh, how did you come up with the idea of this long-form reading stream, which as far as I can tell is like the first of its kind in the world, which is just so incredibly – it's such a it's such a brilliant idea. I, I think that that's really clever. I don't remember. Okay. It's just Steve, came do you remember? I remember. So so I actually do think it is one of the first critical reads that gets streamed. So generally when you do a critical read, you want to read the entire text um, and then like make your notes and what have you and then kind of like publish it as an essay form or something like that. Um, and that has a lot of merits and a lot of values and what have you. Uh, and then there's like dramatic readings uh, and those all exist and they're all very valuable in their own ways. But a critical read live is not something it's done very often. And we'll talk about this. It has problems. Like there's definitely ways that like it has weaknesses. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. the way the stream works, if I remember correctly, Daniel, you basically like <laughs> tweeted. I think it was a throwaway tweet, honestly. You're like, hey, I'm going to do a live reading of a book. Here's a poll. What do you want me to read? And everyone was like, Oriental <laughs> oh, Adventures, AD&D. And it was like 50% <laughs> of people were like, yeah, do that. And you're like, I don't want to do this alone. Steve. <laughs> You do some streaming. Can you like can you jump on this? I'm like, heck yeah. And if you watch OA one with that lens, you'll see that Daniel and I just kind of like jokingly like dunk on it. We had talked about it in the past, and Daniel's like, Steve, we are not gonna get past past page ten. And I'm like, challenge accepted. We didn't get past page ten. Yeah. <laughs> we I don't think it, it took us a very long time to get past double digit pages. Yeah. Um well, there's and, a lot of groundwork it seems like that needs to be laid in the first few pages. You know, like the concepts need to be explained and then you can apply those concepts later in the book. Does that sound? Yeah, I think, I mean, Steve, you had a really good point. Like, I guess it came from a tweet. Um, but for me, it's also like, you know, I consume a lot of TTRPG content on on YouTube. And I see a lot of people talking about books or doing recaps of their adventures. And I think that's kind of cool. And I, I would love to do that, but there's just so many people doing it. And like, I don't know if any of you have ever read the book, um, The 22 Immutable Laws of Marketing. I have. Uh, it's a fantastic book by Always and Jack Trout. I may have recommended Trout. it to you. <laughs> oh, you might have. Yeah, that's probably it. Um, and the, the first of the 22 laws of marketing are the law of leadership. Being first to the market is better than having a better product. And that's not to say to go to the market and have a shitty product, but that's to be innovative and different. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and there's this YouTube channel that I quite enjoy called um, Questing Beast. And Questing Beast, he go he actually wrote Nave, and um, he goes through and just reviews OSR products. Mm-hmm. I thought this is cool, and he, he kind of like sits it down and he kind of goes through the product and talks about what he likes. And I thought, oh, you know what, that's pretty cool. I don't want to be a review channel. I don't want Asians represent to turn into a review stream. Mm-hmm. And I think it might be more valuable for us to talk about this. So then I guess that's what led me to do that tweet. Mm-hmm. But Steve, you're right. We we sat down and we kind of just started dunking on Oriental Adventures. 
because you and I hadn't read it. And honestly, I was kind of surprised that at some of the things in there. Um, and then as the stream kind of progressed, it evolved. And we were like, okay, we need to be a little bit more critical and a little bit more nuanced with how we frame our criticism of Oriental Adventures. So that's when we put together that document um, yep. in our digital notebook. Um, and we basically said, okay, we are going to frame everything about OA around these three things. Asians are seen as violent, Asians are in need of saving, and Asians are seen as fanatical. Mm-hmm. And we framed everything basically, I think, from episode two on mm-hmm. um, around that. And we got better and better and better. Um, and I know we're going to talk about this later, but a lot of the criticism we received was like, hey, they're just like nitpicking. And Sure. But if you look at like the viewership from episode one to, you know, episode 20, 26. Uh, thir- no, not 26, 13, because oh, they're two hours each. Yeah, yeah. Um, you can see we get a lot more critical, but a lot of the people who criticized us didn't stick around for that. Mm-hmm. They didn't stick around for how we evolved and how we changed, which is very important. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it was from episode four and on, we ended up bringing on guests because we we realized, or and I don't want to speak for you, but I realized that this can't just be us mm-hmm. for a number of reasons. We don't want to be the faces of the only faces involved with kind of calling out racism and inequality in the gaming industry. Mm-hmm. But we also wanted to bring in people who had expertise that we didn't have. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, like Steve, your, your emotional intelligence and your, you know, just emotional gas tank is incredible. And I think it's like one of the things that made Oriental adventures and all of our agents read streams. And anytime we collaborate, you know, very, very productive, right? And I, I kind of bring in the academics. But there were things that, you know, both of us couldn't talk about. And so bringing in Jess and Nala for the, as our first guests was, was amazing. Nala talked about the art and Jess talked about like martial arts and everything like that. And it was just so cool. And inviting in those voices and what have you, I think was so important because OA in its, its core is a pastiche of Asianness. Mm-hmm. And one critique, we'll get into this, but the one critique we often get is like, you know, Daniel's not Japanese and the book is really 80% Japanese culture. Uh, so he's not qualified to talk about it. Steve's not even, not Chinese or Japanese. Uh, so he's not qualified to talk about it. And it's like, pause. There's a reason why that is a critique about this thing, because the book itself is a pastiche and attacking the Asian-ness of people talking about an, a book about Asianness. Yep. You know, we have to pause there and we have to really talk about where that's coming from. And unfortunately, that's one thing that the stream, I think, didn't really address a whole lot. Mm-hmm. Not that I know how to address it now. Holy crap, I don't know how to address that right now. <laughs> I think we're certainly doing a better job, though. I would agree with that, yeah. And I, I think this is a learning process. I mean, the first episode of our podcast is definitely not as good as the later episodes of the podcast mm-hmm. um, simply because you know we learn and we grow and you know the fan base the audience mm-hmm. they're they're here with us and those who kind of try to you know pull us down are those who kind of look for moments when we were still learning mm-hmm. and that's kind of what what had happened with oriental adventures that said um, 
you did cover, uh, this is before I joined on, you did cover some really important topics in the first few episodes, uh, such as the first episode, which is about Orientalism uh, by yeah. Edward Said, which is a really important uh, set of concepts and an important book that is very relevant here. So, you, so you've talked a little bit about the way that this has evolved um, over over the last, geez, six months, yeah, um, from a, just a, a tweet that you dashed off in the middle of the evening, probably, uh, to uh, becoming this thing. How, how have you, do you want to talk a little bit more about the feedback that you've gotten, both sort of positive and negative? You mentioned a little bit about how you were doing this sort of as a tr- trial by fire, and definitely there seems to be a fishbowl quality to it, uh, but... Do you want to share a little bit more about your experiences with with having such an instantaneous reaction yeah. from everybody? I love the subtle call out to my use of social media in the middle of the night. <laughs> <laughs> I say it with love and affection. No, that's that's a bar saying, Daniel, go to go to sleep. <laughs> I, I see the tweets you make at like two, three in the morning. I see that. Look, <laughs> listen. You're a machine. I don't. I'm not calling you out. I support this. <laughs> I will. I will literally see a tweet from Daniel at two in the morning, only to get woken up to like an eight a.m. message, and I'm like, I can do math. I know how much sleep you've got, and it's less than what I think you should be getting. Oh yeah, I I I I don't sleep, <laughs> I, and it's because I've just got so much in my head that I want to put out there, but. I mean, Steve, do you want to answer Mars' question? I was just commenting on how I felt called out. <laughs> well, I, I mean, I know we get a bit of that with, like, Twitter and stuff like that. But, you know, we, we record this podcast, mm-hmm. and then, you know, a, a couple of weeks later, it, it goes live, and then we maybe get some feedback on it. But the Twitch stream seems to be so much more just instant feedback all the time. How, how, how do you think that has been different, how that has affected the evolution of this? I think it's more the YouTube than the Twitch. Oh, yeah? Yeah. So... Yeah. What you'll see is the people who catch the show live, um, they're people who are like, we really, really love the stuff you're doing. We want to catch it right out of the the source. Mm-hmm. They want to consume it right then and there. Um, and they also get a little bit of benefit of being able to, to talk and chat. You'll see that in most of the streams, we don't respond to chat directly. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's because at the time, we were still kind of learning how to juggle these two inputs. Um, and later on, as we go through, we have more guests to kind of share the the critical read burden. Um, that gets a little bit easier to, to digest. But generally, the Twitch chat is quite positive and a lot of like head nodding, mm-hmm. which is good. But also, you know, it creates that kind of fishbowl effect. So I, I get that and I see it. Uh, if you switch over now to like YouTube comments, uh, you'll see episode one has a ton of, um, I'm not going to use the word toxicity, but maybe misplaced anger and frustration with our stream. Mm-hmm. Um I think there are a lot of sources of frustration and anger that could arise from us kind of learning that format and kind of going through it and kind of kind of framing it as a late night evening tweet to dunk. Um, so I get that. And then you get on Twitter and you get some feedback where people are basically arguing about whether or not the stream has any value. That's That's kind of tough. Mm. And then what will happen every once in a while is that Daniel and I will get like tag teamed in to a conversation mm-hmm. where it's like oh we're arguing about this one little piece here's steve steve can you comment and that could be um that can be very difficult sometimes yeah yeah i think like echoing that i mean the twitch chat is interesting and and i will say that that experience has kind of changed a bit in since we started doing l5r mm. um but when we were doing oa and when we we're doing al Qadim, i think it's really cool because everybody's there and they're kind of sharing like you know, when we were talking about certain AD&D things and somebody in the chat will chi- will like 
write in a comment and be like, hey, it's actually this. And we'll be like, oh, okay, cool. That's awesome. Thanks. And that's kind of the opposite of like all of the people who either DM me on Twitter or comment on YouTube being like, comeliness, you know, was in Unearthed Arcana before it was in like or- Oriental Adventures. Therefore, it's not racist. Um, missing the point where, you know, with comeliness, we mentioned, hey, using these stats and the language behind that has a secondary effect on an Asian reader. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we're able to have those conversations on Twitter, uh, Twitch, and it's honestly really nice when we see folks like Dan Dillon who tune in. Shout out to Dan Dillon, mm-hmm. who's like a designer at Wizards of the Coast, who tunes in and is like, hey, I want to be here as not as a WotC employee, but as a D&D fan. Mm-hmm. And I want to learn. And I want to see where I can use what material I can use and what material I should just completely cut out of my experiences with this. Mm-hmm. And I think that's, that's a great conversation to have. YouTube just doesn't allow that. Mm-hmm. And I mean, if you look on YouTube right now, like I disabled the comments mm-hmm. on all of our OA stuff just because like I was, I have to go through and I have to see all of that. Yeah. That's hard. And I was seeing so much of it on Twitter. It, um, you know, there's, there's this phenomenon where you create this, discourse you're like hey i'm going to challenge the status quo and then you have people come in and some people call it sea lining but basically what they're doing is they're trying to flood you with requests for labor Mm -hmm. and as a human being you can't respond to all of them and that inability to respond to them is now like an attack vector Mm. um and it's unfortunate and i understand where it's coming from logically um i know something like really really offended me i would be really tempted to be like hey explain yourself why did you do this? Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. you know, I, as an individual from a marginalized space, I'm like, is that appropriate to do? Is that respectful? Uh, and does that treat the person as a human being? Or am I, by doing that action, kind of like dehumanizing them? Mm-hmm. It's fascinating. That sounds like a human, like, DDoS attack. Kind of. Yeah. yeah. That's, that's a very interesting way of, like, putting it. And I'm not going to lie, too. Like, a part of me was like, hey, we're getting a lot of visibility, and do I want this much visibility? Mm -hmm. Like, a part of me is literally like, should I just stop doing this? Yeah, I remember those conversations we had about this, yeah. But, but like, I mean, a lot of the reaction we saw was, I mean, there there are two kinds of reactions, and not counting those who just didn't care, because that doesn't count. But, I mean, there were folks who were like, completely dismissive of our experiences mm-hmm. dismissive of our experiences as marginalized people within this space but they were dismissive from a position of like this sort of like all-knowing elder mm-hmm. right mm. or like you know like we were saying the old guard right yeah they were dismissive yeah. they were like dnd's not like this i'm not racist Oriental Adventures isn't racist because I like Oriental Adventures. Therefore, your opinion is invalid. Mm-hmm. Then there were the people, and I, when I say Oriental Adventures, I also mean al But I don't think the reaction to al has been as volatile mm-hmm. as, I, I guess, like Oriental Adventures. Maybe just because of timing. Mm-hmm. Um, but then there were those who were like, hey, this is hurtful. Mm-hmm. I'm going to tune in and be like, well, how can I fix this? How can I make amends at my gaming table? Mm-hmm. So then there are folks who are just, so basically they were either dismissive or they were willing to listen. Mm-hmm. 
right? Um, and it was just, it was just so interesting. Sorry, that was a little bit, little bit of a tangent. No, no, um, the, the community reaction and your reaction to that reaction is an important part of this conversation because we are right in the middle of this conversation, right? We're also not sitting here from our whatever mountaintop. Uh, calling you know reading things as critical and dismissing certain things or anything like that we're taking part in a conversation and it sounds like taking part in this conversation has um it has involved a lot of effort and emotional labor on your parts as well and uh, that's important to talk about as well because you are people speaking right? of the speaking of the importance of it and this is steve virtually taking the interviewer hat from amar and putting it on himself alkadim stream is a little bit different Mm-hmm. And Amar, I would love to hear kind of mm-hmm. your reaction and your perspective on how the community has reacted and how you've reacted with the Alkadim stream. Uh, so there's a number of things that um, I'm really grateful for with the Alkadim stream, uh, which is we get the benefit of all of your learnings over the last six months. <laughs> Um, which is to say, one, uh, there's an amazing cast. It's, it didn't just start out with being, you know, two people. Um, it's been a number of people, and everybody's bringing a different perspective to it, and is able to contribute more to it, and also helps catch uh, some of the, you know, the, some of the things that maybe one person isn't as uh, clear on. So that helps distribute the emotional labor uh, of the responses and what we've gotten. Um, I think the other thing is again being able to learn from your stream, which I, I watched before I started doing this, um, I said, okay, I really like the academic aspects of this. Let's put this forward. Let's see what everybody brings from their own particular background and their experiences as well. So we kind of like hit the ground running in a number of ways. So we weren't as vulnerable to that criticism that you faced with the early streams either. So uh, honestly, it's been fairly manageable, uh, largely because of the experiences that you went through. And so thank you for paving that road for us in that way. Um, the other piece of it, sorry, go ahead. Oh, no, no, keep going, keep going. The other piece of it is, I, I don't I don't know, like I don't know whether the Al-Kadim's uh, book, the Arabian Adventures book, just didn't sell as well or uh, it didn't have as big a cultural footprint. Uh, you know, Middle Eastern-ness seems to not have had a, the kind of footprint in North American culture, Western culture, um, as like East asian stuff. Uh, so I'm wondering whether maybe that's why the, our reaction, the reaction to our work hasn't been as, as significant and because you kind of, you're kind of the, the front line for getting all of that kind of, um, criticism and stuff. I, yeah. there is an answer to that. Oh, tell me. Um, first, like, well, I think one of the things is like, I think what's great about Al-Kadim, the format you've kind of chosen is that like my only involvement is like I'm behind the scenes. I do all the production and I'm, as you say, I'm the voice of God. Um, <laughs> but like, I just do the production. Like initially I was just like, Hey, Amar, do you want to do this? Cause we talked about this before. I'll assemble a cast. Uh, you just be your charming self. Oh. Um, and we put together that cast and it's monthly, which I think is a really good format because it gives everyone time to breathe. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Because a lot of that, 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 as Steve, you say tension does translate over between weeks when we were doing, you know, Oriental Adventures, when we're doing L5R. Mm-hmm. But with Al-Kadim, you have that month, right? Yep. It's every third Saturday. So you have that time to just kind of like, okay, let's reflect on this. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the other thing, the way we're kind of framing the the success of the OA stream is that like, you know, we did it and immediately everyone was talking about it. That actually wasn't the case. Mm-hmm. You know, we started doing it and people were tuning in, but the stream and specifically the YouTube channel didn't get that much attention until I made that tweet about 
um, drive through RPG and DMs Guild. Mm-hmm. Um, because if if we look at the stream, we had a loyal audience for the entire run of OA and the entire run of L5R. And none of that actually changed when we got all of this attention. Mm-hmm. Right? Most of the point. attention was actually put on the YouTube channel mm. um, because it's, well, it's, it's far more accessible but less interactive. Mm-hmm. And that happened when I actually, I just decided to go on DriveThruRPG because I do that occasionally. And I was like, hey, let's look for Oriental stuff to eventually read. Right. And I just typed in Oriental and it was the first thing that popped up. And then, then I made that tweet yes. that went viral. And so do you want to share what you're, you know, how that has come along? <laughs> that's because that's well, been well, a, I think a it's, trip, it seems like, you know. You, well, I think was... the spotlight is more on you, though, because we're <laughs> talking about Al-Kadim. But I, this is more of an answer to why Al-Kadim hasn't received mm-hmm. that, I don't want to say negative attention, but that attention from both sides of the community. Mm-hmm. And it's because we started doing Al-Kadim af- post mm-hmm. that tweet. Yep, definitely. And to some degree, the Al-Kadim gets sort of the downstream effect uh, from the OA stuff. So when WotC put some disclaimers on the Oriental Adventure stuff, they also put it on the Al-Kadim stuff and a few of the other pieces. So, you know, we're sort of not the leading edge in some ways. I think maybe that's kind of why the reaction has been a bit different. Don't get me wrong. As you pointed out, um, especially in the Twitch, the people who are tuning in to catch it live are definitely the core like people are, who are really interested in this, really excited about this, really want to engage with this. Um, so that's been really great. It, like the, the feedback in the chat has been just really quite, quite incredible. And often there's like mm-hmm. fact checking, which is just fantastic because I love learning new things. Yeah. And, you know, I think what you and the Al-Kadim crew have done is like we've also one of the things we've changed with the Al-Kadim and Amara, we talked about this is we decided to call it critical read instead of Asians read Mm -hmm. because not everybody on that cast is identifies as Asian. Mm -hmm. Um, And so, you know, having that cast of six now Mm -hmm. is, has been really awesome. And like, I'm curious with, with Al Qadim because we've, we've talked about Oriental adventures and we're done with Oriental adventures, at least that book. Mm -hmm. I'd like to revisit Caratour. Um, But uh, Amara, I'm curious as to what you think you want to change with Alcadim or where you see it going. Because I, I know that depending on when this podcast episode comes out, the next read we're going to do is the honor section. Oof. Oh. And Steve, I don't know if you've read ahead. I know Amar, you've, we've all kind of looked ahead, but Steve, the honor section in, in Alcadim is like a whole different beast compared to what it is in L5R or Intel Adventures. There have been a couple of nights where I'm like, I should probably read ahead. And then I start and I'm like, you know what? No, I'm good. No, I'm good, man. <laughs> like, so Amara, I'm like, I'm curious, taking the interview hat from Steve sure. and putting it on myself. Um, where do you see the Alcadim stream going, having seen how we've handled Oriental Adventures and how we're handling L5R right now? Oof, that's a good question. Um, I think I probably want to take a step back and say that, you know, I, my role in the Al-Kadim stream is, is not to be sort of the person who is like even leading. I think of the, myself as a facilitator. So I'm speaking for myself. I'm not speaking for everybody else involved. Um, I think that maybe at this point, it's time for Watsi to just say, some of this old stuff is really quite bad. Put it into an archive, but stop selling it. Um, that's really kind of 
from that one end, that's the reaction I want to see from Watsu on this. Because uh, it's just not good. It's not good. Um, mm. In terms of like the experience of like uh, the streams themselves um, and how they're going to change uh, from after reading the honor system, I think it's going to leave a bad taste in some of our mouths. Like thus far, we've kind of been like, yeah, you know, this isn't super good. Uh, this is kind of cringeworthy. This isn't great. But I think that is going to be really a bit of a poison pill a little bit. So mm-hmm. our commitment, or at least my commitment, to trying to be positive and trying to be constructive in the criticism is going to be strained a bit at the next stream. Uh, which is happening on, uh, is this podcast? On the 15th. For, on the 15th, oh, the, on Saturday. No, the, the 15th. The, yeah, it's the 15th. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, and I think definitely we're going to have to do a lot more. So we've got a group, everybody who's involved has got a group chat going, and we talk things out and work through emotional labor stuff together, and that's really great to have that kind of support, and I suspect we'll need that support in that community after uh, Saturday's stream in particular. Yeah, it's it's going to be interesting. I mean, like, Amari, I mean, we might as well kind of turn the conversation to solutions, at least from our perspective. Mm-hmm. Actually, I'm going to add I'm gonna add one more thing yeah, about the Alcadim stream that I really was missing in our OA stream. And it's that in the Alcadim stream, we have started off immediately with a uh, femme-presenting voice. Um, Daniel and I, we are cis men, and we started that stream. And although we are marginalized folk, um, as we're going through it, we can only give it the lens of someone who's lived in a cis male um experience and that has weaknesses Mm -hmm. and you know if we could go back and we had the resources and what have you we'd want to like gather up as many voices as we think are pertinent to the conversation Mm -hmm. and the way women and from presenting folk are presented in oriental adventures um is shit Mm -hmm. Uh, (laughs) and the only perspective i could give was like you know how is my little sister how would she read this text and how would she react but that's me putting my voice in front of hers. And that is a, um, that's not great. We can do better. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you'll notice those episodes of the OA stream, you know, had, when, like when we had Pam on mm-hmm. the show, uh, like Pam's perspectives were so different from ours and so incredibly valuable. And now that we have, you know, a lot more representation within the Al-Kadim stream, I think we're starting to get, like you said, Steve, those those perspectives. And yeah, you're absolutely right. We were talking about this in the the Discord chat post L5R stream, and we were kind of chatting, was it there or, or a mods meeting? But we were talking about like how like, you know, like I, I, I'm seen and you're seen and we're seen as like, hey, we are those Asian guys. But like, I'm not that like, you know, I identify as queer, but I don't, you know, I always come as Asian to everyone. Mm-hmm. And that's, yeah. I think that that's a, well, I mean, for that, I have to give you kudos, Dan, because uh, Daniel, excuse me, that you specifically um, assembled such a diverse crew. And I think that that in itself is just that diversity is the response to the orientalizing collapsing of all diversity and differences that happens in Al-Kadim or in uh, Oriental Adventures or, or sort of Orientalist works like that. Um, mm-hmm. Because we have people who are, you know, broadly speaking, as far as the book is concerned, from the Ori- from the uh, sorry Arab world, but that's not at all accurate. We have people who are uh, sort of Middle Eastern. Uh, we have people who are uh, queer, non-binary, femme-presenting. We've got people who are uh, South Asian, of course, myself. Um, and then we also do have people who identify as Arab. 
and that is such an immense diversity of languages and cultures and ethnicities and uh, histories and worlds there that has been collapsed and just having that on screen to respond to is is i think uh, the the sort of perfect response to the totalizing and unifying and just you know meshing together and merging together of orientalist works like uh, this one mm-hmm. uh, okay so and i think that's something we i think we're doing better steve with l5r but we can always improve mm-hmm. agreed uh, i think including i think having monty at the start was great because monty had participated in actually writing l5r and then including emma um, after that, who is not a TTRPG player, but is, you know, um, Japanese and a scholar of Japan. Mm-hmm. She was just like, she's a fantastic perspective. And then we went and we included Sar, who is like a diehard L5R fan. Yep. And I, I think that's what what's made the L5R stream really unique in that, you know, we're talking to fans, but we're also trying to talk about the things that the fans are acknowledging to be problematic as well. Um, but but let's let's shift the conversation over to solutions. Because, you know, we've kind of talked about like, you know, a lot of people criticize us for being like, they're just complaining. Mm. Um, but we spent a lot of time talking about how you can fix this. Mm-hmm. And in our own, you know, I don't want to say prof- professional lives because we're not TTRPG professionals. You and I are best-selling we're TTRPG best-selling, yeah, writers. We're, we're so... best-selling authors and like all, all, of us, all of us are, are gold any winning podcasters. But everybody but like, here still has were, a full-time job. <laughs> everybody here still has a full-time job, exactly. Um, and like, you know, a lot of people are like, they aren't actually trying to fix things. And I'm like, well, first of all, we are. We are doing a lot. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. I think it's worthwhile talking about solutions mm-hmm. because th- these were common questions that came up. What do you do? Do you just like a lot of, and I, I I bring this up because, you know, now I'm kind of reliving the trauma of people calling me a book burner. Oh. Yep. I'm sorry. Like they were just like, and I saw this on like Reddit, EN world, which is ironic because EN world was like kind of where the Andes came from. And they were, Daniel Kwan is a book burner. Yes. And, and I think that one hurt me a lot more. Than like being called like an Asian racial slur. Oh, I know. As a, as a to, scholar. Yeah. As a former <laughs> as a academic and a scholar. And uh, yeah. But so like I want to talk about solutions. And these are things we openly talked about already. Mm-hmm. But I think it's worthwhile for us as we reflect on our concluded Oriental Adventure stream and reflect on our ongoing Alcadim stream and prep for future streams. Mm-hmm. Right. What so I'm, I'm, I'm going to be all done? elbows. I'm going to like, fucking get Go. in here. Get. Um, so it's, I think it's really important for people to understand that generally when it comes to solutioning, there's like a process to actually get to a solution. Oh, says the and consultant. Step, says the consultant. Mm-hmm. The, step, the first step is to acknowledge there's a problem. And like you have to acknowledge it. That is often harder than it seems, but it's actually one of the easier steps. Mm-hmm. The second step is to desire for change. Because if there's no desire for change, you can't change anything. So what you'll see in Daniel and I as we go through, and, and, and Amara in the Alchemy Stream, is we're building up the acknowledgement that there's a problem, mm-hmm. and then trying to build up desire. And those are the first two steps needed to actually cause any change. Mm-hmm. 
So everyone who's like, oh, it was so easy to criticize, so hard to to solve. It's like, well, actually, it's a process. And expecting human beings to jump right to the solution um, is not a great way to frame it. Mm -hmm. And I I see it all the time. People are like, well, you're just complaining about it. And it's like, I don't feel like I'm complaining about it. I feel like I'm building up the acknowledgement that the harm is being done. And what I'm trying to do is, is, uh, is to acknowledge the desire that it should be changed. Once we're there, then consultant Steve is like, let's get into solutioning. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Uh, for at least for the Al Qadim stream, and I, and I again want to uh, heap praises upon Daniel for the for the group that he has brought together. We have people who are settings writers. We are people who are game designers, and so we are doing that as we go along. How would you rewrite this? How would you uh, you know change this particular mechanic or this uh, aspect of the setting? Um, and especially some of it is very interesting also because from a sort of um, general sort of TTRPG game design perspective, because we're also looking at pieces that are 20 years old, 30 years old in some cases. So how has game design shifted in the last 20 years? So that's also another aspect, interesting aspect of the conversation. Mm-hmm. So, no, absolutely. So, okay, I want to talk about a, a couple of things that have been brought up and like, folks from Wizards of the Coast emailed me directly and were like, what can we do? And I immediately was like, okay, I'm taking this to community because this is not a Daniel decision. Mm-hmm. Right? This is this is a decision of like the team. This is a decision of the community. And I want everyone's input. Um, a couple, you know, a lot of people on Twitter when this was a huge hot topic conversation were saying, okay, first things first, book needs to be demonetized. Okay, because Wizards is currently profiting off of racist depictions of Asians. Racist and very harmful depictions of Asians. Dis- and this, you know, you know, clashes with their own very, you know, hollow statements about diversity and inclusion and how they treated like Orion and anything like that. So like there was talks about like demonetizing Oriental Adventures and Alcadim and all of those legacy products basically were founded on stereotypes. Then there's, of course, the talk about the disclaimer. And I think the talk about the disclaimer um, needs to be addressed in tandem with the idea that the book needs to be removed. And this is where a lot of people, you know, were very upset. Right? The disclaimer was honestly like, I, I think it sucked. Um, because especially in Oriental Adventures, it appeared at the very bottom, far away from where you could actually make the purchase. Because you could just, if you just log on to DriveThruRPG, you go to Oriental Adventures, you don't see the disclaimer at all. You see it when you're searching, but you don't see it on the page. You actually see it after the history of how three white dudes wrote this book. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that you know the idea of removing the book is a very complicated one. And at least my calls were to remove this from commercial channels, i.e. demonetize them, and move them to an archive, an accessible archive. <laughs> because we, we do run into this issue, and this is where people were calling me a book burner, of media erasure. Mm. I think from their perspective, they were like, I love this thing, and everybody should love it as I love it. And you are trying to get rid of it. Therefore, you are a book burner. 
But what I think we were trying to say is, you know, media erasure is very dangerous and dishonest. And you can't do better unless you know what you need to do better then. But in order to have that perspective, you need to do so from a place where education and learning can happen and harm can slowly be unraveled and, you know, deconstructed. So this is where that idea of this archive comes into play. And I don't know how you folks feel about that. An archive with, say, annotations, a corporate sanctioned page, not, you know, a fan brand like us. A corporately sanctioned page from Wizards of the Coast, basically, you know, linking the product's information to a public statement that contextualizes and problematizes the product, but also includes resources on how to do better, why this is wrong, written by consultants. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's a, sorry. Uh, no, no, Amar, I want you to go. Please go, go. Amar. <laughs> well, so there's, there's a really interesting and slightly weird uh, tension at work here, which is that the hallmark of um, our culture, which is to say, you know, TTRPG culture, is controlled by a corporation who, FYI, is owned by Hasbro. So, you know, th- there's a really weird tension here that unlike a lot of other places where culture kind of exists outside of that whole system, that's happening here. But so we are kind of asking a corporation to do the thing that is against the corporation's interests. But I think that they should acknowledge. I think Watsi kind of does to some degree, but I think that they should be more aware of their position, not just as a for-profit entity, but as the creator of TTRPGs, just with Dungeons and Dragons with the first edition there, uh, and take a more active role in that curation and that historical aspect of their uh, their existence, right? Like the, the reason why their brand has any value today is because of that history. Uh, and I think that the archive is, the, in my opinion, um, the best sort of so- solution that is kind of the halfway, like a, it's, I think it's a good not compromise, that's not the word I'm looking for here. It's a good solution for multiple competing um, issues that are at play here. Uh, I think it keeps the book available uh, for scholars and for historians and people, those of us who are interested in TTRPG history or those people who are interested in that. It's also available for people who maybe still want to run it and then it'll be available for free for them if they're so inclined. Just don't invite me to that game. Uh, But then it's also... uh, so it doesn't get rid of it. It doesn't bury it. It's not trying to suppress it. Um, but at least they're not making money off of it, because that's mm-hmm. just come on. You know, there, there's like harm happening here, and you're making money off of it. That's just not a good look. Steve, what about you? What do you think? I mean, my 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 emotions about this are so complicated. In that, a lot of the criticism is like, Daniel, you're a book burner, and what that implies is that you are burning books to remove history. And then we simultaneously get feedback that Orient Adventure is not a historical book, and I'm like, wait, like there's there's a, there's a there's a disconnect there. Can you please explain more? And the answer is like they can't really explain more, and I respect that because I feel like that comes from a complex emotion that individuals have not yet unpacked, and unfortunately, in a lot of our platforms, what have you, I don't have time or the energy uh, to unpack it to help people unpack it uh, as they kind of go through that dissonance. But what I do see is that we have currently a piece of text media that is causing harm and perpetuating harm. 
as such, we should make sure that it has like something that perpetuates harm. We should make sure that it has no monetary value because by having monetary value, we are saying that it has cultural value because we live in a society where the monetary value of something often conflates with its societal value. And that is super complex. And I am not qualified to go any deeper than that. But what I can say is that if you were to look at museums that do have artifacts of harm, watch how museums actually treat them. Mm -hmm. Look how museums show, and we've used the word archive, but I I like to use the word museum, um, how people who are way more qualified than I, they take those artifacts, they contextualize them, they frame them, they don't destroy the artifacts, but they say, hey, viewer, consumer of this media, take a look at this. Here's how I want to guide your learning. And we also have people on staff eight hours a day who are willing to at least have a conversation with you. Because at the end of the day, history, whether it be, you know, history of like the evolution of culture or history of ta- tabletop RPGs, which is also part of your culture, um, it requires a little bit of human interaction because at the end of the day, our society is based around being human. I, I like I the idea s- of museum. Uh, I will. I will say, as like somebody who you know worked in the museum industry for fourteen years, I, w- I will say that museums aren't perfect. Mm-hmm. That's that, fair. That is, yeah, that, and it is very important to bring up. Like, yeah, I completely agree with you, Steve. Museums are a good starting point, but museums come from a long rich and and i say monetarily rich and very aggressive history of colonialism mm-hmm. yeah right museums generally start from like rich white british men who collected things they come mm-hmm. from a history Stole of things st- uh, st- looted things. yeah looted which fun fact yeah. is one of the first words looted from the uh, hindi language uh, oh no way loot is a hindi that's, word yeah. That's really ironic. Um, <laughs> also pajama. Pajama is also a South Asian word. <laughs> <laughs> but, but like, I think it's, it's, worth, it's worth saying that, like, while museums are a great place of learning, museums are, the existence of museums is very complicated. And it's something that I, as, as a museum employee, constantly struggled with. Mm-hmm. And it's something I struggled with as an academic as well. Like, I've talked about this before, being told that it was problematic for me to work in China. As, hmm. as, a, chi- as a Chinese person, um, it's problematic for me to work in China and learn about my culture and history wow. and contribute to that nation's body of knowledge. And I was told this by scholars. Wow. Right, white scholars. Yeah. Right. So there are there are problems with museums. There are problems with how museums have, you know, treated indigenous knowledge, indigenous artifacts, mm-hmm. indigenous bodies. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about that, right? Um, so like, I want to make I wanted to put that out there. Like Steve, I completely agree. Like museums are like a really good, like starting point, but museums are also highly problematic in their own sense. I concur. I love. I, I love and appreciate that. Yeah. And, that's, yeah, and, ahead, that's, and that's from a perspective that I have a lot of involvement with and feel weird about. Mm-hmm. Uh, definitely agree with you there. Um, the 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 conversation then would be had on a different level, and it would it would shift away from the current paradigm. Um, so I think that I think you're right. I think that it's 
then we would need to have very strong we, we would need to have conversations about the nature of museums and how like these kind of things work uh but definitely i think putting these older pieces and and you know like i said it, it doesn't just have to be the problematic stuff that you put in a the museum and just go and like put a you know white caution uh, sorry yellow caution tape around it uh it can be also like is there an official does dnd does what hasbro or sorry watsi even sell AD&D anymore is that something that they could just well they they technically do through the online channels oh they do okay uh, well yeah never mind then i was gonna say well there's some older <laughs> there are some older things that i can't imagine they're making much money from anymore but are part of ttrpg history and it well, would be oriental adventures oriental adventures on drive through rpg is i believe uh an electrum be- bestseller oh okay um like lots lots of people are buying these mm. and people are still and here's the thing and, and i think this is why oriental adventures might might be a more complex sort of property to manage than alcadim because the world of alcadim isn't mentioned in the current edition of D&D. oh okay but oriental adventures is like Karatur and the Sholung are actually mentioned in multiple fifth edition books. They're mentioned in the player's handbook when you talk about humans. It's in like the race section and they t- they mention Karatur. In the Dungeon Master's Guide, they mention Karatur in the optional rule about get this honor. Yep. There's a fifth edition rule for honor. It's optional, but mm-hmm. they say like like the regions of Karatur where honor is very important and I'm like fuck you, right? Yeah. Um but they they have that there. Right? So these legacy products, while very harmful, like Alcadim is very harmful, you know, you don't see people who are getting into D&D now and being like, oh, what is Alcadim? Because it's not mentioned. Right. We see people now who are like, okay, what is Karatur? Let's go look this up. Mm-hmm. And they find it. Right. And then they see, oh, it's, it's four bucks on drive through RPG. I'll buy it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then they start using that material. That's where I think it gets far more complex with Oriental Adventures because mm-hmm. it's a legacy product that is still referenced in, in yeah. the current edition of D&D. Mm-hmm. That's a good point. Um, so, but I mean, you know, <laughs> at some point, what we are doing is throwing out some ideas, but we are sort of outlining things that Watsi can do because we're not here to solve their problems for them. You know, they might need for to hire free. us as consultants. Yeah. Or something to try to figure out a solution that would work for them they would need to figure that out a little bit um but are there other solutions that we have in mind for the way we've been you know relating to this material those are mine i think there's a softer uh cultural change that needs to happen when it comes to critiquing media You'll see this. This is perpetuated all throughout TV and movies, and now tabletop RPGs. I think has like had their time in the limelight, where it's like the way we critique things requires um, quite a bit of, of effort mm-hmm. in order for you to be uh, constructive. Um, Daniel and I have put in a lot of hours. Amar, you put in a lot of hours of critiquing things in what we feel are respectful ways. Yeah, we have to take breaks every once in a while and just like dunk. Just like, just kind of get it out there. Just like, this hurt me, mm-hmm. and I want to express that, and the harm is then reduced a little bit. Um, but I think there's a wider group of people who need to understand um, that when it comes to critiquing something that does you harm, a lot of energy has to be put into it. Uh, and it might be that you are an individual who maybe has never had to put in that much energy to critique something. Mm-hmm. 
knowing these other factors, which we've talked about in the last like hour or so. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I will say like when we talk about dunking, because this is something that's come up a lot. It's like, look, we're not only are we expressing how this has harmed us, but we are also trying to provide solutions. And I think that's very important. Um, so I think we should move on. Um, I think we should move on to questions because uh, a while ago I put out a tweet. Last month I put out a tweet and basically said like, hey, we're going to do this. Um, we're going to do this podcast and we're going to – do you have any questions? Um, I didn't tag Amar in it. I should have. Um, but this was about OA. But I, I would like to say that think that these questions also extended to Alkadim. Amar, I'll send you the link. Please and thank you. Um, so, Steve, are there any questions that you wanted to start with? Like we could maybe go one question each and kind of do it that way. Yeah, I, mean, I, I want to go through every single question. Yeah, we I do time too. For that just like button, just like go down the list here. Cause yeah, I, let's start from the top. Let's start with let's start with <laughs> with Mark, who isn't who isn't any winner himself. Yeah, he's a cartographer. Mark Richardson? Yep. yep. Mm-hmm. Um, Steve, do you want to start with the first one? Yeah, so the first question is, can you talk about community reaction, both bad and good, including any harassment you got, just for perspective? I feel like we've done a little bit of that, but Amar, Daniel, anything you want to add, just based on that prompt? No, I think, we, I think I've said my piece about that. Gotcha. Mm-hmm. What was the most... WTF moment of your reads. I love how you said WTF, not what the fuck. <laughs> <laughs> we can swear on this podcast, There's... right? <laughs> yeah. I, we can swear, but I, I like the oomph of WTF. It's like, yep. hey. Okay. <laughs> this is how we speak. <laughs> okay. So, I mean, Steve, you read the question. Do you want to provide the first answer? Yeah, it's comeliness. I get that it's not from uh, OA in particular, but... For- and we get nailed for this all the time. It's not from OA. It's from Dragon Magazine, which is a supplement to Dungeons and Dragons. You have to subscribe to it. Mm-hmm. Um, but comeliness has the grossest intersection of sexism and racism I have ever seen in a tabletop RPG. And it is inappropriate to comment on comeliness as a purely racist um, piece of critique, the source of critique, and ignore the sexism in it. And ignore how racism and sexism coincide mm-hmm. in an overall system of oppression. I could go my entire life without ever hearing how comeliness is not originally from OA and die happy. <laughs> yep. I, w- I would have said the same thing. I-, I guess I'll say something that's a little, that was more of like, if it's a WTF moment, it was a moment that I was like, oh my God, this is s- so stupid. There were two. The first one was, chopsticks listed as a weapon <laughs> the second one was in the um the last section of the oriental adventures handbook we had paulina prostupa and drew kwan on um we were reading about like the introduction to the world of caratur and they they mentioned that everybody eats rice which i hated because that that's like just this broad stereotype about asians mind you i love rice um and then they basically said there is this greeting that everybody in Karatur does and they say have you eaten rice today that is how they greet people oh. in Karatur and it's just um, for me that was more of like a casual like oh my god I can't believe that made this into the book moment yeah. so that one is more of like this plays off of pop culture mm-hmm. stereotypes about Asians and uh, and I agree with Steve's that one is a what the fuck moment about like 
wow, this is unbelievably racist and sexist. So I guess mine is a WTF and Steve's is like a what the fuck. <laughs> Amar. Uh, Amar. Uh, and I guess yours extend to OA uh, or, or AQ if you want. Right. Um, uh, I mean, there's stuff. You, you know what? I think that because this is an ongoing series, we will find more like bigger stuff, especially because Honor is coming up. <laughs> the, uh, I'm going to say it's going to be the Honor one. But um, Steve, there's another line to that question. Uh, so what are the common threads between OA and other things you're reading, for example, L5R and Vampire uh, and other like works of academe? Think... Um, and, and then it goes on. It's safe to assume white dudes designers are going to keep doing Asian-inspired RPG content. What are the concrete steps you'd tell them to um, to do if they were respectfully pursue these ideas? Okay. Um do you have an immediate answer? Because I have one. Uh, I'm going to throw out a quick thing uh, to just to the response about what are the common threads between OA and the other stuff you're reading. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think the answer to that is just is Orientalism. And uh, I'm, you know, I've been going through and reading Orientalism by Ed- Edward Said, and that book's what 40, 50 years old at this point. And it's it's remarkable a how few, few things have changed, and b how bog standard the criticism. Uh, the like the critical lens that we're applying to all of this stuff is, which is to say, they're making rookie like you know Orientalism 101 mistakes here. Uh, it you know n- none of this is like deeply subtle. The way that racism kind of plays out in subtle ways, or you know, uh, misogyny plays out in, in uh, subtle ways, it's pretty bog standard. And Orientalism is, I think, the sort of running thread through this. Yeah, I think common threads. I think from like a game design perspective is this like reliance on legacy products, right? For example, with D&D, like OA is objectively like objectively bad. And then including the, the even mentioning Caratour and Sholung in fifth edition, you know, does a lot of harm. And we're seeing this even more in a more pronounced way in L5R, right? On the latest L5R stream, we read through the Crab Clan. Uh, and we talked about all of the different Crab Clan families and, and everything there. And Sar, who is one of the regular guests on the stream, showed us this art. And the art had a character who basically had a Fu Manchu mustache. And we were like, oh, my God. And Sar was like, yeah, this is from the AEG days of L5R. And then Sar said, wait, hold up. Here's something from the L5R I think it's the LCG or the the RPG because, I mean, the art is kind of the same for both. They literally reuse things. Uh, and it's the exact same character with just a, a less subtle Fu Manchu mustache. So we're seeing these, I'm seeing this thread of, you know, legacy products having an effect on the current edition of it. Mm-hmm. Right. In terms of like, safe to assume like white dude designers are going to keep doing Asian inspired content. What steps would I tell them? The first one, like include Asian creators from the very beginning. Asian, Asian creators cannot just be relegated to cultural consultants. You can't just bring us in as like a stamp, right? While having a cultural consultant is extremely valuable, especially if you started the project before you even brought in somebody. I think bringing an Asian creator from the ground up is super important. Mm -hmm. On top of that, 
you can't take these existing properties like D&D and put an Asian skin over them. Right? We talked about this on the latest interview with Banana Chan about Jiangshu and why that is such a great product. And it's a great product because not only is it, you know, obviously an Asian Chinese product, but in its core, its framework, its mechanical structure is also Asian. Mm-hmm. In how the dice work, in, you know, the rolls and everything like that. Right? Yeah. That's the biggest fly I see to anything Asian in D&D. I will say D&D. Because it's like, hey, here's this Asian campaign setting. And there are elves here. Or there are orcs here. Mm-hmm. That's a whole other talk. Right? Steve? I love the, I love the imagery of Asian skin. Because if you take that literally, that it has a very deep meaning. And the fact of the matter is that in today, as we record this in 2020, Asianness is not your skin. There's something much deeper going on. So when you design a game to talk about Asian experiences, it can't just be a skin over top. There's like a core there that we need to talk about. Mm-hmm. And ignoring that core does your product just justice. Yeah. 100%. I concur. Um, Let's move on. Yeah. There's one question, though, and I think it's an interesting one because we always talk about positives. Steve, you made a, a, a very strong effort to make sure we talked about positives. Uh, give us, and this is still Mark, um, Give us one thing you really liked, something that might have even <laughs> that might have uh, even accidentally been kind of a cool idea, even if the implementation was less than ideal. And I, I don't know, like Amar, if you want to bow out of this one because you're just kind of getting into Elkadim, uh, uh, or if you can, have anything. Well, I mean, I I, I, um, I appreciated that there was an awareness of the religious issues at play in sort of the Middle East and so forth. Like, I don't think that their response was entirely perfect, but I appreciate that they, A, recognized it, and B, didn't just stumble into the very basic rookie mistake of just putting in, like, a Islam analog and forcing that down people's throats in Al-Qadim. Mm-hmm. How about you, Steve? I love this question. Holy crap. That's a good question. The best thing, the best thing for me, bar, bar none, is there's a section in OA talked about festivals. And it talks about how the the GM should be trying their best to include festivals into their worlds. And at those festivals, include stalls where people give the players free food. Just like <laughs> food to eat. And I'm like, that, that I don't know, but it felt like kind of throwaway because it, like, it wasn't given a lot of text or a lot of space. But holy crap, if you're looking to expand the cultural diversity of your group, for me as an individual, put fucking food in it. Food is the eat your way through culture. Like it is it is the best way of doing it. And man, if you have someone who's marginalized mm-hmm. and you just ask them about like food they like that is not like westernized or whitewashed or all that kind of stuff, just like what is the food that makes you think of your own culture? You're gonna get some very heartfelt emotions. So OA did an amazing job of just enabling that storytelling and i i i use that i took that from oral adventures and use it in my games because it's great yeah i think for me it's very similar it's that it's that chapter the events and encounters chapter that we talked about the one that just like 
that everyone on Twitch and everyone in the Discord tends to kind of like shit on because they basically said on the first, remember the first page was like, things happen, people are born, people die, the weather is different. Mm-hmm. Um, but then we, as we scrolled through and I actually pulled it up, they brought in like events to make your world more interesting. And while these were, I don't know, and I know there are going to be reply guys who like feel like this isn't unique to Oriental Adventures, who cares? Um, the, the inclusion of like, hey, a political plot can happen. There could be, you know, a comet that is an omen, the death of a lord. Like, these are interesting things. Um, there were some really bad ones, um, like Maiden of Virtue. Maiden of Virtue. Maiden of Virtue. <laughs> but like the idea of like, hey, there was a major battle happening and the PCs could stumble upon a battlefield. Like, that's a cool visual. Um, or like, hey, there are, there are natural disasters. There are, um, I, I like this one, and it's recruiting. People are trying to recruit you for, an, uh, for a military. And whether or not you're on board with that makes it narratively interesting in the game. Yep. So for, for me, I think, Steve, and I think this, this is kind of interesting, the most interesting thing to us about OA was the least Asian thing in the book. I, I don't know if there's a least Asian thing because I feel like festivals and like celebrating festivals, if you go through like D&D's history, you don't see that kind of stuff except in what I would call like ethnically focused uh, supplements. It it almost feels like celebrating is like something that should be focused on if you're going to focus on like an ethnical or like marginalized folk type situation challenge me on it i would disagree that's how i view it i would disagree i mean i get your point of saying like you don't see this in rpgs but the idea of festivals is not an asian thing like people have yeah. celebrations in every culture right whether we label it a festival or not but the exchange of goods and the the exchange of food and the you know the exchange of culture through performance is not something unique to asia yeah <clears throat> i got you. i got you i got you yeah, that, that's just where, and, and so, and I think another thing, just to kind of go back on one of the things I think we improved on, we improved on disagreeing with each other mm. in that we were publicly disagreeing with each other and having a conversation about it. I think that's really important. Segue here. I think that we, as we started here, we wanted to really agree with each other and kind of like boost each other's voices that is rooted in like some other microaggressions and like other systemic oppression. But as we kind of gained viewership and from that power and positions of, you know, speaking about this and and having that clout, if I can use that word, we became more comfortable being like, Daniel, your Asian experience, Amar, your Asian experience is different than mine. And y'all, we got to respect that. Mm -hmm. So, uh, let's move into, I'll read the next question. Or uh, Amar, if you're on the thread. Uh, uh, I am. Uh, can I pick any of them or would you like me to do the... Just, just pick any. You know what? Let's just do that. Because we're, this podcast is going to go for a real long time. <laughs> yep. Uh, <laughs> uh, do, sorry, one second. Do y'all need a hug? Always need a hug. I always, that's, that's <laughs> Adam from, Ali. Yeah, that's uh, Werewolf Fields, who's, who's joined us in the, uh, in the new street, in the new Al-Kadima stream. Uh, <clears throat> more specifically, how do you folk deal with the content after recording stopped? Did you need to decompress? And if so, how? 
So I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start with this one. Yeah, go ahead. It's actually the way I kind of handle the post-stream debrief is rooted highly in safety tools in the safety toolkit that Kiana Shaw um, and uh, Jessica, Jess. Lauren. Brian. Lauren. Oh, yeah. Thank you. It's all good. Uh, kind of kind of laid out in that it's really important that you understand that when you go through something that's this heavy and like it requires emotional investment like this, that you check in constantly, make sure there's always consent, and you make sure that at the end of it, people get the resources and support that they need in order to continue living in a comfortable, happy way. So at the end of every single of our streams, and this is often kind of cut for production reasons, and I understand that, Dale and I reach out to our guests and each other to be like, hey, take care of yourself. I know we always say it, but explicit reminder, take care of yourself. And if you find yourself in a place where like the, the knotted emotions cannot be undone by yourself reflecting, reach out to us. We can't guarantee that we'll always have the emotional bandwidth to go through it and help you like detangle that. But I'm telling you that I always try and be transparent and honest with you to help you through it because I understand this is difficult. Um, and to add on that, we started then saying the same thing, not only to the guests and to each other, but also to the audience. Mm-hmm. Because the audience mm-hmm. were very much along for the ride with us. Mm-hmm. Um, the first question is, yeah, I always need a hug. I do miss, I, one of the things I really miss, and this is, not a, this is not a slight to you, Steve, but I miss my Amar hugs. Oh, I like my Amar hugs. Um, I'll tell you what, I've had one hug in the last five months. Yeah, I miss hugs too. Yeah. I say this constantly, but the reason I work out so much is so that I can give the best hugs. <laughs> that's, that's the only reason I work good, out. Good, you do give really good hugs. You do give good hugs. <laughs> they are great hugs. Um, how, in, in terms of personally how I do it, I know, Steve, you play Dota after. Um, I, I was playing League of Legends after, but it's not a comment mm, on game it's, choice. It's also a source of tension, but we'll talk it, about that in a different that's podcast. A that's a different podcast. But like, I was like, you know what, I'm going to step away, I'm going to play games, or I'm going to engage in something that I think is a good representation of Asian culture. That was something I started to do. Mm. Um, Amar, how about you, post Al-Kadim? Uh So I have to be honest, I find st- streaming in general uh, we- weirdly completely exhausting. Uh, just, I don't know, emotionally mm-hmm. or something. I guess there's a sense of like performing and stuff. So mm-hmm. while we do, um, after the Al-Kadim streams specifically, we do have sort of a, a brief debrief and, and I make myself available for that. Um, and we just kind of chat about how it went and like if there's anything that came up, any feedback and sort of thoughts for next time and so forth. That's an important part for, I think, as a group that we all do that. But for me personally, after that, I usually just like step away from as much technology as I can and just read or something. I, I just need like the rest of the day to turn inwards and kind of recuperate a bit for me. Respect that. I get that. Yeah, I, f- I feel that. I mean, and I don't think it's weird to feel emotionally drained. Like after our Gen Con show, I just... Oof. collapsed yeah like i it was a it was a lot which um, by the way we didn't even talk about but that was amazing apparently yeah, 5, 5, 5200 people apparently wow that. that's such an incredible stage um and a great story thank you so much for running that daniel that was i mean this is this is our story i mean what you what you did with your characters Honestly, I'm excited for the main story to catch up and go north <laughs> because i want to see your character amar see what happens there and we'll have that conversation yeah the carcass um, of the oh. boss snake just find it there because <laughs> yeah just like your away. character being like yeah i'm in charge now and the sort of 
sociopolitical repercussions of mm-hmm. a direct uh, representative of the Empress taking over something that is controlled by the military. Oh, yeah. It's going to be very exciting. I'm just excited for Love Triangle of, like, three people who need to deal with the romanticism between each other oh, yeah. and <laughs> the messiness of it. Oh, Yo, that is, like... Like, let's talk about that. <laughs> that was that was so fun, and I, I just really loved how, you know, we took this skeleton I made and then made it something completely different, and I love when we do that. Cause, and cause, kudos to you, because you set the platform for us to, like, tell those stories, mm-hmm. right? You, like, enabled us as the GM to tell those stories that we really wanted to tell, and kudos to Amar, Agatha, even myself. Look at myself. Kudos. Oh, yeah. Give yourself kudos. kudos. To be like, I'm in. Let's tell these stories. And like, it might make us uncomfortable, but let's get out of the comfort zone. Yeah. And kudos to uh, Quest mm-hmm. for helping us Absolutely. out. Head to adventure.game and use code REPRESENT for 10% off your entire order. Let's move on. Let's maybe. move yeah. on. New Do question. question? Um, there are some, there's some like, pretty quick ones we could answer here. Um, oh, no. I said that was going to be a quick one. And no, no, no that is not going to be. <laughs> Uh, okay, here's one. Um, Mothland, at Mothlands asked, Honestly, I'd just love to hear you and Steve, and I'm going to say and Amar, talk more about how Asian designers today are setting the standard for Asian RPG settings. But I'd also be happy to know what you personally have gained from this process intellectually. Has it radicalized you some or anything like that? Um. I'm, I'm percolating here. Amar, do you have anything like off the top of your head? Uh, well, I'm just going to respond quickly to uh, Mark Richardson's response to that, which is, can you pick a good Asia RPG game a book done respectfully and do a read of that content? So I think that that's kind of related here would be a really cool thing to do in the future as well. But there are there are plans for that. There yeah. are plans to do like, uh, I want to do a charity read where we look through things that are great, like we did with Unbreakable. Oh, that's great. That's a great idea, yeah. Um. I, I, there is this one game that Jeremy brought up on our latest um, L5R read-through called Yokai Hunters, Yokai Hunter Society, and it looked beautiful. I'd like Ooh. to give that a look. Um, I want to use the stream to also like show cool stuff and highlight people who are doing cool stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, so yeah, back- def- there's definitely a plan. That's awesome. Uh, and I'm definitely looking forward to that. Uh, going back to the first question um, about how uh, Asian designers today are setting the standard uh, for Asian RPG settings, I think that, that that's sort of a part where I'm where I'm really excited about it is that there is a generation of uh, people who are making games from their very diverse experiences. You know, pe- indigenous people, uh, sort of North American indigenous people. Uh, we've got people from sort of many different parts of Asia coming through and uh, people from uh, different African countries and contexts are coming in and cultures and talking about and creating games about that experience. And that to some degree, I'm more excited about that than some attempt to rehabilitate and redo oriental adventures with making it less problematic i just give me a new game give me a new yeah, game yeah and that was yeah. another question it's mm-hmm. like what what aspects of the book could be republished and i just i don't think they need to be republished i think you just need to start from scratch mm-hmm. yeah uh, and tell different stories in different games uh, i mean we're telling a fantasy game that has monsters and all of the hallmarks of fantasy as we know it but without the western uh, kind of trappings uh, of Western uh, Eurocentric fantasy uh, in Dungeons and uh, Asians and on the stream at Gen Con. So, like, you know, there's 
it's not like it'll be a new and completely strange thing. It's going to be exciting and interesting and different and also represents us. Mm-hmm. So... I'll dive into this because yeah. I'm 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 a baby baby man when it comes to like tabletop RPG design. Um, but Amar to echo you, I really love when Asian creators are like, you know what? Let's break away from the mold. Let's do the thing that like is really in my heart, and let's express those feelings. And I see that in a ton of indie RPGs, and I really love to see it. Uh, I think. I think what we've done here is begun to deconstruct some of the gates that would prevent other people from necessarily making content that is what's reflective of what's in their heart. Mm-hmm. Um, but as far as radicalizing myself, I don't think it has. And that that's a weird thing because I feel like I've always felt this tension. That's the That's the T word of the day. This tension of like, I've always felt uncomfortable with how Oriental Adventures Al-Qadim has like presented content. I just presented stuff. Mm-hmm. And all this has done is it's given me a platform for Daniel, myself, Amar, you too, to just talk about where that discomfort comes from. And that leads into the idea that we need to acknowledge the harm it does. Mm-hmm. And we need to discuss and understand the desire for change. And that is part of the process. We are, we are in the middle of the process, and this experience has radicalized me in that I now see the process for what it is and why it's so important, but it has not radicalized me in the idea that I'm Asian and that being Asian, there's, there's stuff I need to work through that is very unique to my experience. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't think it's radicalized me either. I just, you know, it's, I started, we started Asians Represent for this reason. Like, I've always been like this. Um, intellectually, though, I think it has changed me. Um, I think it's changed me because I, I mean, I left academia. I was a scholar of ancient Japan and China. I spent like, I, I did, a, I have a master's in Japanese archaeology, and I spent five years doing, you know, Chinese archaeology and working on a PhD, which I finished writing, and I dropped out after, you know, after I finished writing. Um but I thought I left that behind me. And, you know, I kind of, you know, kept up with that because of Dungeons and Asians. But doing these streams has inspired me to do more and more research. Like right now, like I have, I have like four books next to me right now just on like, you know, topics I want to learn more about. And I'm taking a more academic approach to my own game design mm-hmm. because I want to make sure people learn. Like when I released, I'm working on volume two of my Chinese monster manual zines. And the second volume just has so much more academic content mm-hmm. to contextualize everything and explain things so that Oriental Adventures doesn't happen again. So I think intellectually, I have been inspired to continue being a learner. Uh, because I still have to work through the trauma of like being an academic and what happened to me ac- as an Oof. academic. Um, and Amara, as somebody who is, you are like very adjacent to all of these people. I think it's something that you you would you can understand. I feel you. And you know a lot of academics too, like your circle. Uh, yep, <laughs> I, I do work um, at a university. <laughs> yeah. Um, so like, 
it's kind of helped me process that trauma, the trauma of being a grad student. I understand um, that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, let's let's do one more question before we we sign off. And I think that the best question comes from it's one of the questions that uh, Warlock Salarez, Alex White, brought up. Alex already asked, like, if we would republish. That's Alex is the one who asked about republishing and whatnot. But Alex, Alex asked a really good question, and that's what's next. Mm-hmm. And I think I'll frame this into what's next for. Let's do what's next for Asians read slash critical read. Oh boy, I think I'll, I'll go first, and this might be like a little word salad here. But what's next is that it, Oriental Adventures was was released in the late 80s, which means it's, you know, 30, 20 years away from current how we consume media. I think that what's next is to continue to say, hey, these things that are the sources of a lot of our current modern concepts, they had effects. They had long-reaching effects. And it is... It, it behooves anyone who is looking to make the space more inclusive to understand the, the sources of these, har- these harms we talk about and to not necessarily make changes right now. Because I've already said, changes is a process. Solutions are a process. It behooves those who wish to make their tables and spaces more inclusive to acknowledge such harm exists. Because once you do that, you will set yourself up to promote change and at the end of the day that's what we're hungry for we want change yeah i think for that's that was great steve for me from like producer daniel which has apparently become a thing from the producer daniel perspective a couple things that i want to do next i'd like to revisit a dnd i'd like to go through the caratur the eastern realms book what what and like i extend the invitation to, to you again, Steve, to do that, to join me on that journey. Um, <laughs> that, I, 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 I don't know. We'll talk about we'll talk, that one. I, I'm, I'm going to do it because it's, it, I want to bring in archaeologists for that too, though. Like I want to make sure I bring in more experts to join me along on that journey. Um, so like I want to do that one next. I'd like to continue revisiting um, – Kindred of the East, because that book is honestly way worse than Oriental Adventures. It's it's objectively bad. Um, but I'd also like to do more collaborations with the the with the wider Bimpok community. Hmm. Um, I've I've talked to um, Graham, so a POC gamer, about this, uh, doing a collab about the Palladium books, Mystic China, Ninjas and Super Spies. Um, and doing like a critical read of that. So those are the two that are on my radar right now that I want to put my energy into, be it like a one-off stream. I'd also like us to do more charity work. Yep, that's all. I'd like us to, you know, like like we said at the NEs, I want us to make sure that this is a start, but this isn't a conclusion to our mission. I want us to be able to uplift more people. I want us to do charity streams and use this platform for good outside of the TTRPG space. Mm-hmm, definitely. That, that's what I want. Uh, Amar, what's next for you? 
Uh, and I know you're currently in the midst of something, but what's well, next for you? So that's that's actually, I think, probably what's next is we are really very much at the beginning of reading Al-Kadim. So I'm very excited to see where the rest of this uh, series goes. Um, and I suspect that we'll probably, we'll probably be doing that for the next, what, six months? <laughs> something like that. Um, I am also excited to uh, find an Asian-themed game that I actually want to play. <laughs> which is to say and this is something i brought up on the stream last uh last month as well is i, I asked around the table would anybody here ever have wanted to play or run uh, al-kadim no and if people who are you know, supposedly from quote unquote that culture don't want to play it then maybe you need to revise the way that you're doing this particular kind of game so i'm uh, looking forward to continuing on the al-kadim streams the uh, the critical read uh, and I'm definitely excited to come across, just continue to see more of the exciting stuff that people who are, you know, again, the sort of wave of, of uh, designers and gamers and setting writers and uh, everybody coming forward with their personal experiences. That's really exciting to me. So if you have recommendations for Amar, yeah, you can hit up Amar on Twitter at Amar Jazz. Um, because also, Amar, we need to get you more followers on Twitter as well. well Same thank with you, you Steve. Um, now we're getting there. We're, we're, getting, we're getting there. there. We're, meaningful interactions, authentic growth is what we're all about. Mm-hmm. Um, so I kind of want to end this with actually uh, a, a quote um, from uh, Jesse Heinig, who worked on Kindred of the East. Um, Jesse on Twitter said, Kindred of the East is a product with a lot of unintentional racism, but racism nonetheless. It's okay to admit that. It's okay to grapple with it and deconstruct it because we have to do that to learn from it. Otherwise, we'll just keep making the same mistakes again. Do better and be better. And that comes from somebody who worked on an objectively racist product. Mm-hmm. Right? And, and this is to you know those who are listening and are struggling mm-hmm. with you know your memories and maybe very fond memories of playing through Oriental Adventures or Al-Kadim. It's okay to struggle with that. It's okay to learn. It's okay to grow. And sometimes the things that we liked when we were younger don't end up being that great when we learn more about them. But that doesn't make you, you know, a bad person, mm-hmm. right? So use this as an opportunity to learn, move forward, and make your table or your community better. Mm-hmm. And any of you, any, anything you want to say in closing? I feel like that was an excellent closing. I don't know if I could top that, though. I'm going to just say that was awesome. It's a great message. Damn, I love you. I love you all. Uh, <laughs> Holy crap. Too. Holy crap. Okay. <laughs> uh, if we were in person, we could hold hands. Oh, well. We could hold hands. We, we would be holding hands at this point. Um, yep. Now, uh, okay, so, wow, okay. (laughs) (laughs) Yep, yep. Are are you okay, Steve? So many feelings. Why don't we go ahead and close off? We've been going for a little bit here, but... uh, Yeah, let's close off. Some some emotions that were expressed here have really kind of taken their time hitting close to home. Yeah. But uh, I love you all, and thank you so much for your thoughts and your opinions and just being here with me. Mm Mm-hmm. Love Thank you, you Steve, for being here with us. Thank you, Amar, for being here with me. And thank you, Steve, for joining me on this OA journey. So I could not have done that alone.
But I also want to acknowledge that Asians Represent is part of the One Shot Podcast Network. And so big shout out to James Amato for you know, giving us this platform and, and letting us do whatever we want with it. <laughs> this has been great. Um, so if you head to OneShotPodcast.com and you're looking for perhaps a new game system or a new uh, experience, you could check out a lot of amazing shows like the character creation cast where Ryan and Amelia um, go through the character creation process for different RPGs without even playing them. I love it. I think it's awesome. Um, And if you have any questions about this episode's theme, right, the Orientalism or anything like that, the games we discussed, be it, you know, Oriental Adventures, Alcadim, or even the good ones like we're talking about, like Unbreakable, you can get in touch with us on Twitter at AZNSRepresent, or you can email us privately at AZNSRepresent at OneShotPodcast.com. If you're interested in learning more about you know these Orientalist works, you can head to YouTube.com slash AZNSRepresent and watch our entire back catalog of streams if you missed it. Uh, we stream Asians Read every Friday at 7 p.m. Eastern. Right now we're reading through, and for the foreseeable future, we'll be reading through the Legend of the Five Rings core rulebook. Uh, so that's Steve, myself, and we have a shifting uh, cast that usually includes uh, Emma Yasui, Monty Lin, Saragas, and uh, Jeremy Blum. Uh, and we're reading L5R. It's been a really interesting experience. Every third Saturday of the month, Amar ha- hosts and facilitates an incredible Alkadim stream. We've, we've got Ahmed, 20 Arabia RPG. We have Iza, who I think Iza has joined the show before, right? I want to. Th- I believe Iza has been part of every single Alkadim stream. No, before Alkadim. Before Alkadim, yeah. Uh... Iza joined us on our 3.5. That's on the right. Trist to talk about art costuming and art yeah and that was one of my favorite streams yeah. oh yeah that was a great one and we should also revisit that book so we've got Ahmed, we have Iza, we have amr we have mariam we have adam ali and of course amar you are just such a fantastic facilitator um so once again youtube and twitter at azns represent you can email us at az azns represent at oneshotpodcast.com and catch our streams guaranteed every friday and every third saturday of the month at twitch.tv slash azns rep uh let's do the sign off because this is the hardest thing to do virtually <laughs> okay so i'm gonna go me okay me steve and then amar and then we'll try to do it again because we've never we've never gone this okay i'm daniel i'm steve i'm amar and you've just listened to Asians represent. Oh. <laughs> oh. <laughs>